You're listening to the Quince podcast. While most of India fixated on the Ram Mandir Foundation link ceremony in Uttar Pradesh on 5th August, in Kashmir it was a quiet day with a curfew and deserted streets. Last year on this day article 370 was revoked stripping Jammu and Kashmir of its autonomy and bifurcating the erstwhile state into two union territories Ladakh and Jammu and Kashmir That decision was met by protests despite the security clampdown thousands of activists were picked up from their residences and detained over the next few days opposition leaders were also put under detention and this year there were heavy barricades all around Srinagar shops and other establishments remained shut amid a heavy deployment of security forces in anticipation of a black day protest due to this decision for the first time after 70 years all the 890 central laws and the indian constitution became applicable in kashmir but did this ensure for kashmiris to enjoy the same rights and privileges enjoyed by the rest of india in the past year In a previous episode of this podcast you heard voices from Kashmir talking about how their lives and livelihoods had been adversely impacted by this decision and in this episode we'll hear from policy legal and human rights experts talk about if the government's moves were justified and in what ways it affected commerce child rights and media in the valley You're listening to the big story the podcast where we dissect the headline making news for you and I'm your host Shorbhuri Was the government's unilateral decision to revoke Article 370 justified? Even one year after Article 370 was revoked, that debate continues to weigh the rights and wrongs of this move. Those against the move point at the ongoing human rights violation in the valley, but those in support of the move believe that Article 370, along with Article 35A, was a quote-unquote license to press. the scst communities women and partition refugees they say that the socio political conditions in kashmir were no better under article 370 in the past 7 decades this is what ratan sharda an author and tv panelist has to say see the problem uh, the there it is said that there is a mental problem with somebody who does same thing again and again and expects a different result for last 70 years 370 has been played around as the ultimate solution to the problems of jammu kashmir jammu kashmir was never normal since 1947 till date there have been continuously historical violences historical curfews 6 and 6 years 8 months of uh, governors who under congress and the opposition party alliances so for to say that 70 years kashmir was another one and the swarg or the you know ultimate jannat of uh, india would be foolish because there were problems to compare those 70 years of problem and say in one year they should be resolved is thinking of the impossible which we didn't bother for 70 as since 1982 the recitation pact came there was trauma for scst people who were not given the citizenship right who could become a safai karmachari instead of doing phd we never thought about that we never paid attention to party the orphans of partition lakhs of them without proof without land for 70 years under the guise of 370 when your special law of 370 for jammu kashmir because this muslim majority you bow down to two nation theory that is my contention jammu kashmir is not a fight for autonomy it is not a fight for rights it is a fight for jihad it's a fight for islamization of jammu kashmir running through pakistan through various agencies all these years this started in 75 went on till now 
So the people who throw out are on the that pretext only. All that agitations are done on that pretext only. Yes, it's ideological, and we have to fight this urge to take away Kashmir from India because Kashmir has four thousand years of Hindu heritage, which nobody talks about. But in terms of the immediate effects of the decision in the past one year, well, it's quite palpable. The day Article 370 was abrogated, Kashmir's media was among the first in the line of fire. And over the next few months, the communication blockade and the frequent suspension of internet made it very difficult for journalists to do their jobs. And now, even as 2G has been restored, there have been attempts to censor anything critical of the government, sometimes even arresting journalists under the dreaded UAPA and the PSA Acts. For instance, only a few months back in April 2020, two journalists, Masrat Zehra, a Srinagar-based independent photojournalist, and Gohar Gilani, an author and journalist, were booked for quote-unquote glorifying terrorism. Kashmir Times editor Anuradha Bhasin, who was one of those who filed a writ petition demanding the lifting of the restrictions in Kashmir, talks about where Kashmir stands a year after Article 370 was revoked. Let me start from where we are a year ahead, as the country is celebrating, and as um, you know, we just spoke about uh, uh, the fusion of the celebration at. Uh, of uh, construction of Ram Temple, coinciding with the first anniversary of uh, what happened in Kashmir last year. Where do we stand today? Kashmir, while rest of the India would be celebrating this move, or at least the government is celebrating, Kashmir is still under curfew. Jammu is under lockdown on the pretext of pandemic, even though the pandemic figures in Jammu are negligible as compared to the national average. So, what has been really achieved? The stated goals of uh, the government at that time were that this would end terrorism, this would bring equality, this would integrate people. Then, why do we have to still keep the people locked up? And in this background, there's also a new media policy in Kashmir that journalists are worried about. Among the many questionable aspects of the policy, government officers are now authorized to decide on what is quote fake news, plagiarism, and unethical or anti-national activities end quote, and take action against journalists and media organizations. Justice A. P. Shah says that what the government has done with this is create a climate of fear and policing of Kashmir media. it mandates that before the impanelment of newspapers or news portals for release of advertisements by government the antecedents of the newspapers or news portals will be gone into then there is a day to day supervision of media by the directorate of information and public relations for fake news plagiarism and unethical or anti national activities the media policy enables policing of the media it sits in judgment as to what constitutes anti social or anti national news and this again involves security agencies which virtually give death blow to any remaining media independence in jnk i think that after emergency this is the first time this kind of a media policy has been adopted by the government so what the government has done is to create a climate of fear among the journalists reporters 
and this policy gives opportunity to government to go after independent newspapers and journalists and in fact FIRs have been filed against several reporters and journalists uh, who were considered to be not exactly friendly with the government views. As free speech and movement and the right to practice one's profession continues to face prohibitions in Kashmir, a slew of petitions are still pending before the Supreme Court. And as the human rights violations continue, some would say that among the hardest impacted from these ongoing restrictions are the hapless children. Check out a Big Story episode on this from two days back in which Kashmiri students talk to the Quint about how hard it's been for them to cope with their studies in this lockdown due to the internet restrictions. But other than the impact on education, in the past one year, in a report filed by the Supreme Court in 2019, it was said that at least 144 minors, one as young as 9 years old, were picked up under allegations of stone pelting, rioting, causing damage to public property, wrongfully restraining movement of persons, attacking police personnel, etc. And child rights experts believe that this is taking a very heavy toll on children's mental health. So what can be done to address it? This is Inakshi Ganguly, a child rights expert. We know that the children of Jammu and Kashmir have been in a state of lock for, for a year now, uh, completely when it happens in August. Um, So they have actually, their education has been completely disrupted over this one year. And given that the schools were closed, um, they they were not playing, all the things that young people must do, there is a huge amount of Um, mental health issues that these young adolescents are facing. Uh, The Supreme Court of India had in its order spoken of ensuring mental health services to be reached to all these children. We need to know whether that is happening, whether the district uh, mental health centers have been opened, if the children are getting those services. Um, So these are some of the, uh, that is one of the most important recommendation at this point of time. Now moving on, as counter-insurgency measures have been given much more importance than human rights in Kashmir, decisions such as the continued suspension of 4G internet for quote-unquote security concerns and the restrictions on movements have pushed Kashmir's economy towards major losses. As per the estimates of the Kashmir Chamber of Commerce and Industries, trade in the Union Territory has suffered losses to the tune of 40,000 crore rupees in the last one year. A research article on the Observer Research Foundation also said that the unemployment rate in Jammu and Kashmir is at a staggering average of 17.9% in July 2020, which is twice the national average of 9.5%. And all this despite the government's tall promises of providing 50,000 government jobs for Kashmiri youth, within three months of abrogating Article 370. An article on the print also claims that only 4,300 of those 50,000 jobs have been given out. You can find all the reports that I'm referring to on the show notes. But an assessment report by the Forum of Human Rights in Jammu and Kashmir on the prevailing situation in the Union Territory, which was published on 23rd July, said that a lot of the state's industries were pushed into loan defaults and even closure. Hundreds of thousands lost their jobs or even underwent salary deferment or cuts. And former member of the group of interlocutors for Jammu and Kashmir, Radha Kumar, who's also a part of the Forum for Human Rights in Jammu and Kashmir, talks about the disastrous impacts. Uh, Section 144 has been more or less continuously imposed uh, across the valley. One year of Section 144, it is really absolutely outrageous. 
that is supposed to be something that is imposed in rare instances, uh, re, you know, town by town, village by village, if you feel there is a clear and present danger in those areas. That is not being done. That principle is not being followed. Uh, similarly, I mean, even habeas corpus petitions are taking forever to resolve. The rights to bail are being opposed. The rights to speedy trials are being opposed. It seems that almost every fundamental and democratic right offered under our constitution is being denied. Uh, look at the impact on the economy. I mean, Kashmir was one of our better performing states, according to the Planning Commission, the Niti Aayog, as it is now called, uh, uh, just before this lockdown and arrests and changes uh, were wrought on the state. Now look at its situation. Industry uh, estimates that they have lost somewhere around 40,000 crores just in the valley alone. And Jammu, you know, if you look at Jammu and the valley together, you can yourself uh, imagine what the losses have been. Losses of jobs are already half a million in the valley. Again, we don't know what the figures for Jammu are. So across the board, we can say we have seen a year of suffering. Now, with all this happening in the fall, came another controversial move by the government and that's replacing Article 35A with a new Jammu and Kashmir domicile rule and also ensuring the fast tracking of new domicile certificates. All this amid this raging pandemic. For long, the BJP-led government had vowed to strike down Article 35A that has defined who are Jammu and Kashmir's permanent residents and the new domicile law has drawn a lot of suspicions regarding the centre's intention to shift Kashmir's demography. And Kapil Kak, a retired Air Vice Marshal, talks about this move. Work is in progress on domicile law. May I remind everyone that the Ladakhis are up in arms that there is no la domicile law for Ladakh. Jammu is looking at a domicile law in opposition to their earlier stance that they were great advocates for removal of Article 370 and 35A, I will give you a statistic which will help you. Jammu applicants are 20,000 for domicile in the state of Jammu and Kashmir, in Jammu. There are only 5,000 applicants for Kashmir. Quite a few of them, hundreds of them are people who have been uh, on the issue of most important issue of delimitation, there is a unanimous decision of the government of India that delimitation all over India will take place in 2026 on the basis of the census of 2021. Farooq Abdullah at that point of time had said we will go along with what has been decided by the government. I want to know from people who are more knowledgeable than me, why was the hurry to bring forward the delimitation to now and what? Please hear this. On 2011 sense, I mean, this can only indicate that there are intentions which are not honourable. So this sums up a year in Kashmir since Article 370 was revoked, but how long before the promises of development get delivered? If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to the Big Story playlist for episodic updates. 
we'll have on Apple, Google Podcast, Spotify, Jio Seven, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quinn website and check out the podcast section. For any feedback, shoot an email to podcasts at thequinn.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quinn's website and check out our other podcasts. 